Welcome to the second of the special edition podcasts, which uh, focus on the Glenvor collection of documents that we've recently acquired. Um, special thanks to everybody who spread the word and contributed. Um, as you might know from previous podcast episodes, uh, I wasn't too sure or confident about going down the whole crowdfund route, but uh, it proved to be with the GoFundMe route. Sorry, uh, GoFundMe. Um, but it was a revelation and it means we have these documents now which are sitting in two plastic protective folders in front of me. Uh, in the first episode we went through the Highland Railway Company uh, invoices which are sizable and have so much information. The second part of the collection actually, as I twist into a more comfortable position on the floor, uh, are actually individual looks like letters and correspondence. So. We're going to open these. I'm going to bring you my first impressions of them. And um, we will then at a later date in the coming weeks and months go through each one individually, document it, record it, photograph it, upload it, talk about it, and then slot that into the Glenvor history. Bit by bit, increasing what we know and uh, our enjoyment of Glenvor and appreciation of a bygone age in Scotch whisky. This isn't just Glenvor now. This is... Um, old whiskey, old times, old practices, and it also gives us something about McKinley and Burnley, but also about Glenalbin. So, uh, let's open the documents, and we'll go through these one at a time. Um, clean hands. Uh, I do find you get these whiskey photographs of people holding valuable bottles, and they've got the special gloves on and stuff, and I just find that ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know if you feel the same, but I'm just going to use these with my fingertips. I'm, they're clean. There's nothing wrong with them. So the first one uh, is dated the 16th of May, 19, no, 1894. So immediately we are at the beginning of Glenvor here. So this is, looks like a receipt for £100, which would have been a sizable amount of money back then. Received from John Burney Esquire at Balnafatic Inverness, the sum of £100 sterling uh, as payment to account for, looks like, work of new distillery, uh, Muir Town, Inverness. So this little invoice or receipt, um, and on the back it has in pencil... Uh, some numbers, IV5, Post is that IV5? So that could be an area maybe, or they didn't have postcodes in those days, but um, no, number five, the way it's written, it's number five, Esquire Grey, perhaps. Um, so this is the very roots of Glenvore Distillery. This is John Burney paying somebody uh, to do some work at the distillery. Uh, there is a signature, um, it's over one of the old stamps, so I'll need to look at that one uh, in greater detail, but that immediately is a fascinating document, and to think that that is 130 years old. Yeah, it's actually 130 years old uh, past me. Um, it's, uh, it's hard. Um, we're doing a podcast and this is audio and it's not visual, but you know to actually hold something like this in your hands and the condition of it is excellent. 
but also just to think about what's happened since then, you know, um, incredible. So just put that one down and we shall move on to the next document. Ah, so this is uh, to Donald MacDonald. There's a traditional Scottish name for you. Carting contractor. So totally bygone age. This one is um, noted to be to, or regarding Glenmore Dist, obviously distillery on Telford Street. Glenmore again written as one word. This is from February 16th, 1917. So quite interesting the way they were still pushing around stuff, horse and cart, when obviously we have a lot of invoices uh, from this age uh, to do with the railway. Um, so this one all concerns work around about February the 13th to the 16th of 1917. And uh, again, it's an invoice, but basically it's carrying everything. It's got them in individually noted on the line so we have is that casting barley um the first one is just being corrected as seven tons of barley um barley to thornbush malt from thornbush one wagon of coals 10 tons two carts barley from wagon seven tons and malt from Thornbush. So, um, on the back, we have that being settled by and noted by Donald MacDonald in February 1917. Um, again, a, a fascinating little document here. We obviously have uh, an old method of transportation being utilised to transfer you know, quite sizable amount of coals, malt, and barley, um, and fortunately on some of the entries we're actually getting to see the tonnage the amount which gives us an idea of what they were consuming uh, at the time uh, so that's from 1917 so i'll just put that down uh, the next one again a very small document uh, this one is the 30th of september 1921 uh, the first thing that immediately grabs me about this one in the letterhead it has glenvore distillery two separate words, but also immediately underneath as Glenalbin Distillery. So coming from 1921, um, this is a very early document of the co-ownership of both distilleries. And it's to F. Horn Esquire of Ede Orkney. So immediately, if you've been reading or if you've read a recent excellent book on peat, you know uh, this location is very famous for peat. So this must be a peat invoice. Uh, to McKinley's, uh, to McKinley and Burnley, um, 134 and a half tons of peats at 22, is that shillings per ton? I don't know the old methods. Um, in drawing peat by Royal Exchange, um, Okay, so very, very delicate document, but it is about the peat. On the back, um, we have uh, Thorne acknowledging payment in September 1921. Um, so that's a great document. That shows us 
obviously the symmetry between Glenvor and Glenalban, but the fact that already, within a year of being taken over, they are both using peat from the same source. So there was a degree of consistency coming in, and we do wrongly see Glenalban and Glenvor referred to as sister distilleries, but the actual whiskies they produced were entirely different. They're not sisterly in that regard, but there are obviously some cost savings of efficiency, or economies of scale as we call it, um, and we can see that on this document that they are importing the peat as a whole from Orkney for both distilleries. So, fascinating document, and I'm sure, uh, I think it was Mike, the book author on peat, he'd be very interested in that one as well. Okay, um, oh, my goodness, this one's interesting. Uh, again, a very small receipt, but it gives us an idea. And we've touched upon this on the website previously. This is from the 6th of February, 1924. Uh, and it's an acknowledgement from 12 Torficken Street, Edinburgh. Um, and it is the Anti-Prohibition Fund. Now, uh, you, a lot of people don't realize, obviously prohibition was a thing in America, but there was, um, I forget the exact name of the movement here. It wasn't prohibition, it was an it had another movement, uh, obviously sort of religious connotations and um, the focus on alcohol being bad for you in a sin. Um, and there was a newspaper article on the website, which I recall from some of the earlier days, with, where one of the almost like preachers or believers in a non-alcohol society went down to have uh, a discussion about it at Glenvor Distillery and was sent promptly on his way by somebody. Now we never know, I think from the newspaper article, uh, we don't know who that person was exactly, but I would probably strongly bet that was John Burney giving the person a piece of his mind about his thoughts on not distilling. So this one is received from McKinley's and Burnley in Inverness, the sum of £25, to be expended in accordance with the terms of my circular letter dated the 10th of September 1923. £25. That's a William H. Ross of Edinburgh. So um, a little bit of research there, obviously, on William Ross, and we can tap into the Anti-Prohibition Fund. And, oh, I know it's come to me now, the Temperance Movement. That was the name. Um, so yes, the Temperance Movement, if you want to look it up, um, was a thing in, around this time. And obviously, distillers were not <laughs> in the business of not distilling. So that's a great historical piece there. Next. Oh, wow. Um, this one... I am literally just doing these as I come to them. Um, very famous name on this. A letterhead, official document from John Walker and Sons Limited from the 26th of June, 1917 to Messiah, Messrs. McKinley's and Burnley, Glenvore Distillery in Burness. Correctly spent two different uh, words. Um, hmm. interesting there's a letterhead in the top left um, and underneath it's got Cardo Distillery Knock and Do which obviously if you know your whiskey you know what Cardo Distillery is now called um, Annandale Distillery Annan Dunster House Mark Lane London blah 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 okay um, so this one looks like it's acknowledging receipt of casks to cast sent from Kilmarnock for stock made this season, which has not been invoiced as per arrangement. 24 butts treated, 213 hogsheads treated, and one plain hogshead. 
So that looks like, yeah, that's a season's worth of empty casks that have come from Kilmarnock to uh, Glenvor for filling. Looks like it's signed by a B. Scott and uh, £250 received by check. On the back, um, we have uh, John Walker and Sons, 1917, but also on the back, most of the backs are pretty plain. They have nothing on them, but this one's got some uh, wonderful, sort of the, the old iconic drawings you used to get on some of these letterheads. So it's uh, very, very prestigious. It's John, John Walker and Sons Limited, London and Kilmarnock. Um, so you can see an image of their bottling store. You can see Annandale Distillery. You can see Cardo Distillery Straths Bay. There is the Cooperage in Kilmarnock, where obviously these empty casks have come from. You have Glasgow Distillery. Is that? No, no, that's not Glasgow Distillery. Sorry. That looks like that's that one. Sorry, I'm reading this wrong. Uh, Duty Bulk Stores in Kilmarnock. Um, at the top, you have a very, very elaborate. That must be the headquarters for Johnny Walker. Um, Yes, some Johnny Walker and Sons Kilmarnock. Now, obviously, they're no longer there, which is a shame and is part of the reason why I've never stepped foot in the Edinburgh uh, Tourist Centre because Johnny Walker is a brand now, but I never did agree with what they did to the town of Kilmarnock given its history. But anyway, moving on. The next document, very familiar to us. This is another um, very similar sort of receipt um, style from the 20th of September 1921 and it's from HSC Smithson Esquire in Inverini uh, by Davitt and we are looking at oh it's um okay this looks like a farm uh, that's interesting interesting so I'm trying, I'm just going to look up where this is uh, to see if we can find it. This is the power of modern technology and a live podcast. So I'm just going to type in the word here. Okay, let's see where this is. Um, yeah, it definitely hits around... Um, Daviot and Dunlichty um, and the parish of um, and it talks here about Dumnaglask uh, Strathnairn Heritage Association so looks like there's going to be a little bit more work here but this definitely looks like a farming invoice to me so it talks about 40 quarters which i think was an old measurement of burr so they were using burr barley immediately fantastic you know <laughs> um you know we definitely have uh, them using um golden promise but we now know they did burr barley uh which you know we have seen brook laddie um and we have seen um, Aaron used bare barley as well. It's a very coarse, a very rugged style of malt. It isn't very efficient, which is why it's not used today. It's very, 
I guess traditional, a heritage green as such. It's difficult to work with. It's very difficult to... I'm trying to think of the word here, but to manipulate, I suppose, through machinery to create your whiskey. Um, because it, I think I remember, and I might be right in this, it managed to almost annihilate one of the the mash tun at Brookcladdy one year. It needed repaired because of the bare barley. You know, it, just the the coarse nature of it. So this is excellent because it confirms we have bare barley being used by Glenvor and Glenalbin. Yeah, we can't separate because of the invoice. Would that have been to both distilleries? It's interesting. I think probably, yes, it would. And again, in 1921, so we're obviously seeing they're getting the peat from one place um, and they're having an economies of scale, making a bigger order with two distilleries. They're doing exactly the same on this invoice with their barley. So that's fascinating. That is great to see. Next up. So absolute treasure trove of stuff this is great um the whiskey association of fenchurch street london so this i think was a forerunner of the scotch whiskey association uh, and they're acknowledging receipt of five pounds and five shillings from messrs mckinley and burnley in 1924 uh, and this is the annual subscription to the home trade section uh, so perhaps this is some form of industry magazine uh, quite a plain invoice, but certainly one um, I would look to uh, delve a little bit more into. Next. This is a very small bill of note. Um, lots of handwriting on this front and back. On the back, uh, paid to the order of the Caledonian Banking Limited um, and the manager, Alex. Conway I think it has has perhaps signed it um, so let's see what it says on the front um, lucky enough in my day job if you didn't know uh, I have to do a lot of medical things and then that some of that involves reading doctor's handwriting um, which you're seeing less of as everything goes electronic so it's a dying skill I think but I think I'm quite good at reading bad handwriting because of my day job um, this one Inverness, 22nd of May, 1895 to the 25th of August, same year. Three months after date paid to me or my order within the six months in bank office. Here are the sum of £200, 13 shillings and 10 pence for the value received by D. Petrie. Messrs. McKinley and Burnley, Glenvore Distillery, again all one word, Muirtown Inverness. Uh, and then they've written across in a totally different direction and then done some sort of um, punch stamp, which has put holes through it. Uh, accepted payable at the bank something Inverness, McKinley and Burnley. So... The interesting thing then is what was this payment for? Um, we're not getting an immediate answer for that, but that, I'll have to dig in more to that. But that looks like that is sort of an official banking bill for some receipt. Uh, okay, next, uh, from October the 26th, 1894. So we are again at the very, very beginning of Glenvore Distillery. This is Donald McDonald again. Uh, who obviously we mentioned earlier in the show. Um, 
and this is about oh, 23 years prior. So that just proves they have been, uh, you know, using this uh, Carter, as it were, for quite some time. Uh, and probably, I would guess, using him for his existence. I don't know how long the carting business would have lasted for, but that might be something to um, research as well. So very simple invoice. Um, this gives us again three wagons of peat carted, one load of sealand, sealand, or sea sand. I think it's sealand. Hmm. That's interesting. We'll have to look into what the hell that might be. Um, would you need sand at a distillery? But what would be Sealand then? Anyway, we'll have a look. Uh, mysteries to be more mysteries to be done. Uh, watch this space. Uh, four wagons of peats, carting sleepers for the distillery. Ten hours. So they're obviously doing. Uh, work in the warehouse um, back in 1894, which isn't a surprise. Uh, the uh, geek of me knows that they did a lot of warehouse changes in 1894, um, one or two uh, quick extensions. So I wonder if those um, 15, uh, no, that was on the 15th of September, no, October, sorry, if those sleepers were going to be on the sort of warehouse floor of some extension. Uh, and free peats as well so yep really cool document um to see next this is probably the probably one of the most beautiful documents um i remember this this is from glasgow and this is from the boat of the glenboig union fire clay company um so these are clay workers um near coat bridge in Victoria buildings on West Regent Street uh, and this is uh, an invoice for I guess essentially bricks or tiles um, very delicate so I'm holding it very very carefully um, oh, another moment to relish I'll tell, I'll tell you in a minute um, so we have April of this year um, they are talking about pipes they are talking more about pipes, they're talking about bonds, and they're talking about something to replace a leakage. Um, by allowance on June, pipes, invoice, da -da -da, credit, stamped received. And the great thing about this, in the bottom left-hand corner, somebody we all know as Whiskey Enthusiast has simply noted, correct, Charles C. Doig, uh, and in brackets, something I cannot read at the moment. Oh, I know what it is. It's, it's abbreviation. Charles C. Doig, in brackets, architect. It's an abbreviation for architect. So there we have a document with Charles C. Doig on it as well, signed. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, so again, we have to look into um, this document, the company. Uh, it's addressed to Charles C. Doig and Elgin as well, interestingly enough, and not uh, in Inverness. So already, you know, we've got signatures and documentation from some of the main protagonists in the the, the distillery. Uh, so from my point of view, um, uh, utterly memorable. Next. 
uh, Fountain Brewery Edinburgh. So we know from the invoices they got a lot of their yeast here. Uh, to Miss, Mrs. McKinley and Burnley, uh, August 1895. So immediately we can tell you they are getting brewer's yeast from 1895 uh, from Edinburgh. Uh, and that we know from the train invoices some 20 years later, they're still using brewer's yeast. They're still using uh, yeast from the Fountain Brewery. So there's a consistency there, uh, which is great. Um, so this documents all the yeast that they um, had uh, used. And on the back as well, it continues. More yeast. That's a lot of yeast. Um, it's pretty much a year's worth of yeast on this uh, small bit of paper. Uh, incredible. Incredible. Okay. Last one that I need to fold. Um, unfold, in effect. This is like a big important document. Okay. Uh, if you can hear it. So a short period, £3,000, premium 18th of December 1894. By cooperation of the Royal Exchange Assurance for assuring houses and other goods, buildings and ships from fire and also the assurance of lives. So it's an insurance protection document. Um, McKinley Burnley of Inverness Distillers have agreed to pay the Corporation Royal Exchange London the sum of £1.13 and 9 pence for the assurance of £3,000 on buildings forming the Glenvore Distillery situated at Telford Street, Inverness, presently in course of erection, subject to average. So, um... This is the doc. This is probably one of the first ever Glenvor insurance documents, I guess, to protect them from fire uh, and any other loss. Um, interestingly, uh, off the top of my head, this is December eighteen ninety four. Uh, I think the distillery was certainly up and running um, before then, perhaps as a practice run. But uh, this one seems to be the official confirmation that uh, they need the protection. What's interesting as well, there's been a, obviously there's stamps to prove it's um, legitimate, but they've, uh, glued in an amendment, a clause, uh, and this one's called the workman's clause, which I'll read to you. Workmen are allowed in the above described building to complete the same, but it is warranted that woodwork be not prepared but only fitted and finished and that mineral oil lamps be not used while they are employed therein so obviously they're trying to mitigate the fire risk from uh, workmen um, soaring and perhaps causing sparks uh, along with oil lamps so it's a very it seems a very very primitive and um, particular clause to have but certainly if you're around flammable liquid and distilleries it seems a very poignant one uh, given probably an insurer's experience with distillers uh, at this period so um, yeah another document from the very beginning 
of Glenvor. So absolute thrill. That is the two caches with the exception being the larger insurance document that I haven't unfolded but I will publish online uh, in due course. Again my thanks to everybody that has made the acquisition of these documents possible. Uh, I hope you can tell how thrilled I am but also what it's going to bring to our understanding of the distillery and also Glenalbin and the period uh, and being a distiller. Um, remarkable stuff um, and my thanks as well to the seller who came to me uh, and gave a fair price based on my experience of what these documents can go for uh, to bring these all in to sort of a, hopefully a more public domain is welcome um, it's what we need to do more of I know there are Glenvor documents out there um, I would love to bring them all into the fold and do the same but it will just take time um, and I will try my best um, thanks to everybody's help um, interestingly the seller did tell me he got these many years ago at a car boot sale and the person selling them said there were many more unfortunately um, no further contact was made or seen um, so I would think some of the documents we're seeing uh, that might reside in private collections could come from the same original source but somebody has um, saved these you know and yes we've had to pay a decent amount of money but I think it's very fair um, what it's going to give us in return is um, it's a small price to pay but you know we have to be thankful that these documents still exist and what they can tell us about Glenvor, McKinley and Burnley, Glenalbin, etc, etc. So on that note, I've probably taken up half an hour of your time. I should go. So thank you for listening and I will see you for the next episode.